Deacon Luis, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Thank you so much for coming over here to St. Faustina. I know it's hot outside and you're wearing all black. That's true. So <laughs> how have you been? I've been great. Just been hanging out at the seminary right now. We're done with classes. So just kind of been relaxing a little bit. Is this the calm before the storm? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. This is just the eye right here that I'm in. So it's less than a month be before you're ordained a priest. That's right. That's right. Are you getting butterflies? Um, I'm getting definitely something like that. Yeah. It's kind of surreal, honestly. How many years has it been since, since you first entered the seminary? Since 2010. Um, so it's been a while. It's, wow. it's been a long time coming. Um, yeah. Did it breeze by? In some ways, it does feel like it has. And in other ways, it has been too long. <laughs> but, you know, that just depends on the day and, and how I pray with it. Now, your full name is Luis Garcia. That's my full, yes, name, I guess, if you want to go all technical. Yeah, please. You, you, then it's Luis Miguel Garcia Ibarra. You were born outside of the U.S.? Correct. Where were you born? It's a little town called Pino Zacatecas. It's a um, small little town. And then even in that town, I was I technically live in a smaller little kind of ranch, uh -huh. kind of a small little place. So, yeah, it was um, interesting being born in Pinos because the nurse who gave birth to me was just starting her practice there. Okay. And then she's still alive today. So I'm still able to go visit with her whenever oh, wow. I get sick a little bit when I'm on trips. She was a newbie when it yeah, all started. Yeah, and I was born like a little cold room with like just one light bulb. Are you able to drive there from here? Is it far or? It's about 16, 18 hour drive. And then how old were you when you moved here to the United States? I was about five years old. Okay. Had you started school already? Preschool or yeah, pre kindergarten? Kindergarten, exactly. Yeah. Do you have many memories of? A few. I have a few memories, uh, especially just having friends over at my house. I had a huge backyard at the time since it was just, you know, land. Uh, riding bicycles and my mom, my mom waking me up in the morning to go to school, making me like my licuado, which is just like a milkshake with just the bananas. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So that was that was fun. That was probably the most fondest memory I have. And I could still smell the food, you know, this, the food that she would make in that wow. kitchen. And it was really good. Yeah. And then so you moved here straight here to Texas, to Houston? Correct. Correct. Houston, Texas. Okay. And what what part of Houston? Um, I guess it's more like the northwest side, um, kind of springish area. Okay. And did you always live there? For the most part. What was your parish there? I... Wasn't as involved at a parish at the very beginning of my, yeah. Early, okay. But I would go randomly to Prince of Peace. Was, I started kind of going there for sacramental prep. Yep. So you were more of a casual Catholic family, yeah. not really that involved, but you'd go for the important occasions. Correct. And I think what added to that reality is we had just moved there, right? And so we didn't know what the Catholic Church looked like in America. Okay. Uh, having it look so, dare I say, contemporary. Um, so we were used to seeing it in a certain way, um, aesthetically. Mm. And so when we found out that there was a church nearby off the freeway, off 249, we ended up going there and kind of made it our spiritual home. What what parish is that? Prince of Peace. Oh, Prince of Peace. Prince okay, of Peace. so yeah. so you were your parents were kind of intimidated a little. But yeah, we just didn't know what to look for. Landmarks. Okay. Yeah. It was interesting. Wow. Did, did they speak a lot of English when they? No, not at the beginning. Uh, that's a hindrance as well. Yeah. Because you kind of get kind of scared. You want to stay in your bubble a little bit. Mm -hmm. You went to school all throughout here in Houston. Correct. Public school. <laughs> your whole time when you were growing up, did you think that you were going to become a priest? I did not. 
Not at all. What it did was you never want my to... radar. I mean, just marriage. That's kind of what the uh-huh. only vocation that I was I was kind of exposed to or understood is like you are with your parents, and then one day if you want to leave the house, it's because you're gonna get married. What profession were you thinking about when you're growing up? Um, business. I wanted to go into business, learn about business, how to create a business. Um, I love to travel, so I wanted to do like international studies, um, international business as well, learn more about that, and that's kind of what I was gearing towards. So when did the first thoughts of becoming a priest enter your mind? I would say that came up while I was on mission trip in 2009 with my home parish, Prince of Peace. And so we ended up going on this trip, and it was a mission of presence, right? And in this mission trip, I remember just experiencing just a lot of feelings of consolation, a lot of experiences of God and the people. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we always talk about the treasures of the church being, whether you think of it as, you know, all the beautiful things that we have in a church, but really the coffers of the church were there in Guatemala to me. Just the people, they treasured God and the faith so much, even in the midst of turmoil and war. So, How old were you at this point? Mm, I'm not very good with math, so I'm going to go with, uh, let's see, it must have been around... Were you a teenager? High school? I just finished high school. You just finished high school. Mm-hmm. So all throughout high school, you had no idea of what you were, of the, of, the, of the possibility of becoming a priest. It w- didn't even enter your mind. It did not. I did have a friend on my senior year. He was my best friend. Um, he had, we had talked about colleges. At that point, the college question came up, obviously, for all of us. And so it of was course. like, yeah. you know, so where are you going? And he finally told me, I'm actually going to go to the University of Dallas. I'm like, cool. What are you going to do? I'm going to be a priest. It's, it's seminary, Holy Trinity Seminary. Oh. And then from there, I was just like, hey, I'm Catholic. Like, obviously, we knew that, I guess. So tell me more about that. Uh-huh. And then he kind of took me under his wing. He kind of really fostered that vocation, I guess you can say. Um, I would call him once a week, right, and say, what did you learn this week? He would tell me all the philosophy and some theological oh, wow. things. And then he was like, okay, now it's time to teach you how to pray. So he would mail me like a little prayer pocketbook so I could have it in my pocket. And um, that's kind of what, how he started. He was like, you should also go to the Triduum, right, for Holy Week. Like, you should start doing these things, um, which is funny because when I told him about the mission trip, he's like, I don't think you're ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> he said that. Yeah, he did. <laughs> because you were at that point sort of just like a casual Catholic. Correct. Just on occasions, not every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, and then so this mission trip, how, how did you get into that? I was sitting in the pews, honestly, literally. I was sitting in the pews in the back somewhere, and I remember them talking about it, making an announcement. You know, we're going on this mission trip. There's an info session coming up. If you're under the age of 18, bring a parent or just come with somebody to get more information. Yeah. And I remember looking at my parents one day, and I'm just, this is me, right, back then thinking, you know, these Christian Catholics, they just do all these awesome trips, and they travel the world. I love traveling. Like, I finally found some, this is so dumb, right? I found this connection of traveling. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to find out more about this. I want to go. Like, I think I'm, I'm, I'm 18. I'm, I'm, I can do these things now. This is cool. So this, it was more of the travel that appealed Absolutely. to you rather than the Absolutely. mission itself. Yes. I had no idea what the word mission <laughs> even meant at the time. And boy, was I in for a treat. Um, I went to that info session and I found out what it was. And I was just like, Ooh, I am way in over my head. Like, this is not the crowd that I thought it was going to be. Like, it's not like a travel agency where you meet with people who are going to travel <laughs> together kind of thing. No, it was talking about doing real things and real work about the faith. And I was, it was a bit intimidating for me at the beginning. You Were you imagining like people like backpacking across the, you not know, certain parts that. of the country? I think I was thinking more, yeah, probably that, but probably a little bit more formal, just, you know, 
being bussed over to a certain places, kind of like pilgrimage of sorts kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So you were imagining a pilgrimage, but it turned out you were <clears throat> you were headed to do a lot of work, huh? Correct. So who is this friend that that talked to? Is he still in the seminary? He is not. So he did he, leave. Um, he discerned his vocation outside as well. Um, he was very influential for many years. And then eventually when I took a break as well, we actually ended up moving in together uh, for the summer that I had just left. And then we realized, like most friendships, I guess, that you kind of grow apart. Uh-huh. Uh, we had grown apart. We have kind of done enough. Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting that, you know, he goes into the seminary, but he discerns out. Mm-hmm. But maybe his whole, the whole reason, mm. maybe God's plan for him to go in the seminary was him to influence you, to send you those prayer booklets and all of that. Yeah. That's very interesting. So t- tell us more about this uh, mission trip. What was What was it all about? So it wasn't, I guess, what I would even now look at an admission trip of like going to build something or going to create projects of sorts. It was more of a mission of presence. So Guatemala had just undergone the civil war. And so they were just in turmoil. The Catholic Church kind of pulled out. And so they were kind of left without the faith or the visible signposts and people. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, this is also just people who kind of were... A lot of these soldiers, a lot of the guerrillas kind of really killed off all the men as uh-huh. well. And they I'm had sure all to war. some atrocities against priests as well, huh? Correct. There was a lot of them who were being persecuted. The church was being persecuted, which is why the bishop had said, I need y'all to pull out. Wow. I mean, For the safety of the, correct. the people. Wow. And so what ended up happening is everybody kind of went up to the hills. They hid in remote areas and, uh-huh. you know. Years passed, the war ended, and they had nothing but just dead bodies around to bury. And so that was kind of what in some ways we kind of stepped into. By the time it was open again and safer for Christian communities to come in and evangelize, we were probably one of the last ones to come back. We just didn't realize what the situation was. Uh And so you had all these other Christian people, communities come in and, you know, do their job. Yeah. And so then when we come in, we're just coming in again, full force, reestablishing where we were, mm-hmm. letting, letting the community know, hey, we're here. Which, to our surprise, they were already doing a lot of catechetical things on their own. They kind of had built their own community of faith mm. to foster what the, what little they could remember and have. Yes. And we're talking people who are still indigenous, too, people who still speak in, you know, in their own kind of native tongue indigenous tongue. So it was kind of interesting for me to do mission trip there because even in my being bilingual, English, Spanish, I would prepare a lesson plan in English, translate yes. it into Spanish, and then that had to be translated once more into Quiche. Oh, wow. So that yeah. is interesting. So th- there must have been certain times where there was something lost in the translation because it's translated twice. Yeah, huh? I think so. Very challenging. I remember one time uh, there was a question immediately, and I was speaking on discernment. Uh-huh. I think it was occasion of discernment. And so one of the questions was in Kiche to the, my translator, and the question was, what is discernment? Can you uh-huh. please spell it again? So I think in some ways it's like, you know, they got what they needed to hear. They got what little bit they were uh-huh. supposed to ask and be inquisitive about. So, but yeah. But it is kind of like a game of telephone, yeah. hoping that the yeah. other person gets what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. Now, you said that there were dead bodies and all that. Did you have to do any of that kind of work? No, 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 no. Uh, by the time I got there, uh, I say that too, just because when we get to these aldeas, these places where these people live, there are hills of just crosses and the kind of, kind of oh, makeshift cemeteries on properties. Wow. So that's what I meant by like the visible, you know, bodies okay. in that sense. But yeah. Wow. That must be something else. Just walking through that. Mm-hmm. What goes through your mind when you're walking through a community and 
that's been devastated like that. It makes you wonder um, how desolate they might be, how alone they might feel, how abandoned they might feel uh-huh. and be. And then it was also rewarding and surprising to get to their homes because we did a lot of like prayers with them and like home visits of sorts, right? We brought communion with two people who were homebound, uh, visited with people who were still speaking speaking and practicing in their native tongues and in, in, in their indigenous ways, but were working on going through some kind of RCIA program where uh-huh. they wanted to convert to Catholicism. And so arriving at their homes, you know, it's like one light bulb, maybe. It's a, it, it's a dirt floor and they have like one little cot or bed and everyone's there. Grandma, all the kids, the wow. wife, and if the husband's gone either because of work or he's deceased, then uh-huh. the 15-year-old kid is the man of the house. He's the one that's yeah. taking charge. And what was beautiful is realizing even in that appearance of desolation and abandonment, they had a small little table with a white cloth and an altar, basically. Wow. With all their images and the candles because they, they knew the priest was coming. You're giving me goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Wow. So I'm sure when you when you arrived, they were like, you know, when 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 the missionaries started coming, mm-hmm. they were like, "We're so glad you're here. We've been waiting for you." Yeah, and they were very thrilled. Um, and so the one of the first things we did too was, "How can we help you? What do you guys need?" You know, because obviously that's it's not just the mission of presence because we were building back relationships, right? But it was like, uh-huh. "How can we help you foster what you're already doing?" Well, we need more Bibles. Great. We need catechisms. We'll bring them. Uh-huh. So even us as missionaries, we would only like have our backpack on us, right? It's it's, yes. it's the carry-on. Yes. What what got what got checked in was like just this action packer big crate thing, uh-huh. and that would have all of our supplies for them. Okay. So you you head off there first, see what they need and then Correct. come back. Now, did you ever have the opposite of what I described of a reaction, like people who are mad? How could God let something like this happen to us? Did you have any of those type of reactions when you arrived? Um, Not that I've experienced directly, no. I think there was a lot of just, they would probably see us and just, they would just cry. And I think that was the mixture of anger, sadness, and hopefulness just all blended in. Uh It was beautiful. Wow. How long were you there? Uh, usually a week. Okay. Yeah. And how many people were you with when you? It started off small, maybe 15, 17, and then it grew to about 25. I think the biggest group we had was closer to 30. And that included young adults at that time too. Like at the beginning, it was just kind of, you know, those who could travel, the, the older folks. And then uh-huh. eventually we ended up getting, attracting a lot of great youth to come to this, which was nice and rewarding to see. So you were 18 or 19 at that mm-hmm. time. That must, that was, I'm sure, a huge, huge influence on you. Did you come back thinking, okay, I'm going to become a priest? Yeah. Um, so yes, to answer that, that question. But the irony, so every night we did uh, faith sharing or like, you know, so unpack the day kind of thing. And so in one of those prayer sessions at the end of the day, we, my prayer partner who was next to me said to me, you know, I really see, what did she say? She said, I really see the wounds of Christ in you. Mm. And I think you could carry those in a very particular way as a priest. I think people were just seeing this really energetic, you know, filled with fire for the faith. And they Uh wanted me to like be this priest. And so I took it with a grain of salt even then, although it was very beautiful to hear. Um, 
And then I remember coming back after the fact and t telling some more people about it, people that I trusted, you know, and they also affirmed it. And they said, well, if nothing else, just go talk to the vocations director, who is actually from the dad. Yes, at go the time. <laughs> right, at the time. Go talk to him. And almost like, in a way, I said, yeah, I will do that. That way he can tell me, you just come back from a holy high, a great, beautiful experience, uh -huh. live out your Catholic faith a little longer. Okay, and so remember, you're thinking that uh, maybe it was, you were just <clears> on a high from that trip. Is that what you were thinking? That maybe it's just because I'm on a high, maybe I'm really not made to be a priest? I think Is in that... the back of my mind, that's what I wanted to believe. But okay. I, I, I think I did really experience something different. So you were a little bit in denial, I guess. A little huh? bit, because I knew that it came with a commitment, the commitment of letting <laughs> go and of God daring to say yes back to me. So I didn't want that. <laughs> did you date in high school? I did, didn't do a lot of dating in high school. Were your um, parents too strict or...? A little bit. They were very, very much on me about staying on track. Um, and Get your diploma. My, yeah, get my studies to make sure I finish high school. Uh -huh. And if I wanted to do more, then I needed to focus on that. Yeah. Okay. And then so you talk to Father Dad. He says, let's not jump the gun too much. Is that what he said? So Something? when I met with him, that's what I was hoping he would say, right? And then he just, I remember talking with him, sharing my this whole experience with him, I think. And uh -huh. he just kind of, and kind of a little bit more about how this friend was leading me to the faith, how he's been fostering certain devotions and um, just instilling knowledge about the faith uh, in me. And I remember him just looking at me, you know, he kind of nodded his head very slightly, like in a affirming way and just kind of said, I want you to read this. It was like a little prayer pamphlet of sorts. It's a seven-day thing. I finished it in like two days. Um, he said, take it every day, which has still takes seven days, but I also finished it early. Uh -huh. um, and just ask the Lord, do you want me to be a priest or do you want me to get married? Like have those both options hand, to hand, hand in hand. Uh -huh. And then he said to me, you know, I don't know what it is about you, but I think, I think you could move forward in this. And sure enough, after the seven days were up and I— met with him again we talked about the prayer experience that i had and he said okay he's like again i don't know what it is but i think you're ready to move at least into the formation part of formal seminary did your parents know that you were talking to father dad no clue no clue so when did you tell them that you were discerning the priesthood um gosh i think it was around mother's day so around this time of the year is when i told them um i want to say I, I probably told them around june but okay. a friend of mine recently told me it was around Mother's Day. So. Was this before or after talking to Father Dad? Way after. By this point, I had everything lined up. My my autobiography was done back in November kind of thing. Uh-huh. Like, I had done everything. Already. Okay, so I you was, had, I was already accepted, actually. Oh, wow. I was, I was already taking in. taking all the steps. You yeah. went through all the tests and everything. Mm -hmm. And what was their reaction? Um, Are you the only child? No, I'm not. But that might as well happen. Um <laughs> Uh, my siblings and I are about eight to ten years apart. Okay. So in, in some ways, I was the only one that they were looking at kind of thing. Okay. So um, they were all born here in the United States? No. Uh, just one of them. The youngest one. Okay. Joseph, yeah. So Sergio and I, uh, my older brother, myself, we were born in Mexico. Okay. And so how they reacted was my mom just kind of felt like she was losing a child. Oh, like wow. I was just going to leave. Also, again, this is the same mentality of like, if you're going to leave the house, it's because you're going to get married and then you leave. Uh-huh. Um, it's not just to do, not, but even to go to school, she was kind of like, eh, about it. She mm -hmm. was not, she was uneasy. I remember asking her, I said, I'm moving to seminary. I'm going to be at the school. They're going to have laundry machines. I need you to please help me. How do I do laundry? And give me uh -huh. the basics. What do I separate? What's the logic behind it? How uh -huh. much do I use detergent-wise? 
help me per load. And she said, oh, mijo, don't worry about it. You know, you can always just pile all that clothes and just bring it back home and then I'll do it for you. <laughs> and, I, and I know now looking back at that conversation, it was her way of saying, I want you to have some reason to come home. Uh-huh. Which I, I would anyway, but you know, it yeah. was it was also her way of securing that. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm gonna have to figure that out on my, on my own how to do laundry. Now, so. it, we talked to uh, uh, Father Houston Ojonma. He said that uh, one of the reasons why his parents had difficulty with his deciding to go into the priesthood is there is a cultural thing. Is that was that similar to you? Is it part of the culture? Or was it just your the way your family thought? I think it was more the way my family thought. I mean, some facet of the culture part could be there too, because this is just the way they saw it. But even in many uh -huh. ways, when I tell people this part of the story, they're like, but they're Hispanic. Like they would want this. They would want yes. their kid to be a priest. Like, how can this be? And I said, I know, but that's just not the way. It wasn't in, ingrained in them. And maybe, maybe they didn't grow up with it. Uh -huh. They had a different vision of what a priest was. Maybe someone who was <laughs> unattractive, someone who just was, you know, I guess not capable of being married therefore this was his career option oh okay so yes. seeing it as a vocation was mind-blowing for them yes and now for me too now when you decided to become a priest and you told your family did they did they tell you not to do it similar to father houston um i guess my parents weren't that blunt or weren't that bold um they were just my dad was very disappointed and my mom was just like well you know, and in many ways, they both just kind of said the, the same things, but very differently expressed. They pretty much said, you've been you've been good uh -huh. as you, you've been a great kid. We love you. Um, you didn't give us any trouble. You know, we didn't have to run down to the school, to the principal's office to do any disciplinary things and, or go down to the courthouse, as my other cousins would have done. So they said, thank you for that. Um, and we are willing to let you go and do this thing again. It was one of those things where I think. Unless I was getting married, then that would make sense. And this was a bit of a shock. It felt too early for them to process, I think. How about your older brother? Um, what I did he say? I don't remember. And honestly, I don't know if he was like approving or not. I think he was in the same boat with my parents just to kind of give it a supportive, as a support to them. But yeah, I don't think he was very happy about that either. And my younger brother didn't really know enough to really care. Do you have any sisters or just brothers? So... <clears throat> It's my older brother, and okay. then I did have a sister, uh -huh. um, but then I didn't meet her, so she died after a year. Oh, okay. Um, she died, like, in the crib or something. So it was one of those things where she w she was asleep, and she she died in her sleep. Oh, okay. Um, and then it took my mom a while to get over that. That probably factored into how her wanting to hold on to you. Exactly. Because she's already lost a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the reason why I asked about your siblings is because, uh, you know, maybe if you were the only child, then that's, you know, it's it a would uh, make sense. It would, yeah. Or that if you were the only son, you know, they'd want mm -hmm. somebody to pass on the family name, but you have two brothers. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting. You're, but I, I, I understand now that you mentioned that your, yeah. your mom lost a child. Yeah. And the oldest one, Sergio, he, soon after he got married, he had two kids. So I have a niece and a nephew, right? Once, my niece came in the picture because it was for, it was for first my nephew and then my niece came in the picture. Uh -huh. Her world was just it's all about the grandkids and it's all about yeah. her. It's all about the girl that she didn't have. Oh yes, the girl she didn't mm -hmm. have. Like this is like kind of like a surrogate yeah. type. And in that so sense, she kind of let go of me more. She was like, "Do whatever you want." I mean, she didn't say any of this, right? Were you were, was, you were already in the seminary? Oh yeah, I was well in. 
Okay. Did they eventually completely warm up your whole family to that? Um, well, I can tell you that. So I did college seminary for four years, right? And my mom didn't didn't go drop me off at the beginning. It was just my dad and my brother who dropped me off with all my stuff wow. at, in Dallas. She did, she refused to go. She was she was busy, you know. Uh huh. But she went to go pick me up when I told her I was discerning out and that I was graduating. So she was like, "Of course I'll go." So she went to that. And then, but however, when I when I left for three years, and when I came back and I entered at St. Mary's Seminary, um, she actually did come. So you discerned out for a while. Mm-hmm. Did that factor in the way your family reacted? Did that factor into the reason why you discerned out? It was definitely a part of it. I think I was just doing a lot of um, growing and learning about myself in those college years, those four college years, learning about myself, learning about all these connections, right? Like how, why was she so adamant about me staying? Like this is all stuff that I was picking up a lot while in college, uh-huh. you know, in prayer and direction. And I realized, like, I need to be at home for a while. I need to resolve something there. And even the idea of like leaving seminary hurt. I was like, I don't want to leave right now. Like, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to do this. I don't. I don't want to take this break just to get this done. Uh huh. But you know, in prayer, God was just kind of telling me, like, you have to go and you got to settle this. Take this care bridge. of this. Yeah. yeah, you can't move forward unless you mm-hmm. take care of this. Wow. And so you graduated your four year. Mm-hmm. philosophy degree, right? Correct. And and wh- where was this? So I did two years at University of Dallas, and then uh-huh. I did the last two at St. Joseph's Seminary College in Louisiana. Okay. So mm-hmm. not uh, not here in uh, St. Mary's. Correct. But in, I did not stay here, like so my what, other conference. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like going over there? To Louisiana? Yes. Um, it was quite the change, right? It is Louisiana. It grew on me, uh-huh. um, but it was it was great. I love the just fullness of, of, of the culture. It was so rich in culture, you know, and it's, it, it, it is its own, but it was just, it was so good. It was very homey. It was very kind of like that, that had that Southern comfort kind of there. It did remind me of home a lot, even though I was away from home. People just adopted me to go to their houses and stuff. So that was great to see, which I didn't get a lot of that at Holy Trinity just because it was different times and different setups. But yeah. Is this the same seminary that, uh, um, Luis Armas Correct. went to. Yeah, I remember him talking about it. He said he called it Catholic Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. He said when you drive up, with, it looks beautiful. Is that mm-hmm. So that's the same one. Yeah, when I was in seminary, though, at the time, we used to call University of Dallas, Holy Trinity Seminary, the Catholic Harvard of the West. Okay. And then we used to call Louisiana, St. Ben's, the Tabernacle of the South. Oh. And so it's like, where would you rather be? <laughs> that's cool. Mm-hmm. Now, during college, did you have any experience, because uh, a lot of our, well, some of our our seminarians and priests have talked about, quote unquote, chalice chippers or cassock chasers, girls that are trying to land a seminarian and pull them away from uh, becoming a priest. Did you ever run into any of those situations? Um, honestly, I think, so I'm someone who, whenever I'm processing through through things, and those college years were big on that, right? Um, I would say that I was a lot in my head, so I wasn't as aware of anybody doing that. That uh-huh. um, I not was I aware of beautiful women on campus? Yes, uh, of but course. once I got to <laughs> once I got to St. Joseph's, it was it was all male, so like that that kind of went away. Uh, but the first two years, yeah, it was a little difficult to kind of go to school and realize I wasn't like having breakfast with them or with the rest of the you know, university community kind of thing and uh-huh. not interacting with them as much and knowing that there were boundaries and limits and so. Getting used to that too. That was, that was interesting at the beginning, yeah. 
Yeah, because you have you have to follow a, a more strict uh, mm -hmm. schedule being in the seminary, right? Mm -hmm. you, you don't stay with the regular student population. Correct. We travel as seminarians like packs. You know, we just we go up, we come down the hill. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. So you discern out. You decide to to settle some business with your family. Mm -hmm. What were you doing, you know, professionally during mm. those three years? I for one of those years, so it was three years that I was out. Yes. And in one of those I worked at this equipment company. They rent out equipment for construction and big projects of sorts. So I actually had to get certified in, you know, managing forklifts, boom lifts, like all those aerial lifts of sorts, just so I can move them from one location to the other within okay. within the property. And so all I did was I was the yard coordinator. So I would just move them, literally, I would move the material, the um, equipment from one side of the yard to the other, get it ready for, you know, washing it down and, get it, and getting it ready for the guys to inspect it, make sure it gets ready to go for the next project. Checking inventory and all That's that. It, yeah. Which was pretty boring. They used to call me easy money. <laughs> <laughs> really? I would, I would come in at a certain time in the morning and I would leave by five and they would always joke, joke with me. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, just this and this. Oh, what's going on? Easy money. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm not going to debate that. It was like, if it, it was like, I think I was getting 15 hours, uh, $15 an hour. So. Okay. Now <clears throat> you said you did that for one year. What about mm -hmm. the other two years? I realized within that year immediately um, that there was still such a hunger for ministry. There was just part of me that was just, that was almost naturally created for this or like conditioned for this for the past four years. And I just, I didn't know what to do with it, you know? Mm. And I remember talking to my coworkers who were a lot older, you know, they're just work, they're working in these shops and, and stuff. But I was talking with them and there was always concepts about the faith, maybe not explicitly, using the word God and religion, but there was this concept of like what they were searching for and looking for in their own everydayness, which I connected to what I knew immediately. So there was this hunger that started building. I couldn't take it after a year. Like a void. It was a void. It was like, this is the, not the job I would want professionally, right? So then, uh -huh. I mean, they kind of tell you sometimes, you know, it, if you ever discern at a seminary, you should definitely not immediately go work in, like at a church, like get make sure you breathe completely away from that. Uh, and then yes. eventually, you know, we'll see what happens, which is what happened with me is I ended up coming back to a church in, in a, um, job. Where so did I, you work? Yeah, I worked at St. Ignatius in spring. So Father okay. Norbert um, met with me. Um, we talked about where I was at in life. And then one thing led to another. I kind of wanted to do youth ministry. I feel like that's what I, that was more of my alley. I wanted to do that. I wanted to... Um, just work with the youth, my, with my own people, kind of gave me that mission trip experience kind of back to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And instead he was like, well, all I have right now open is liturgy, is assisting in like, like in liturgy. And I was like, I've never done that before. Like, it's not something that I would jump on and want to do, even though I was a seminarian, but I was still a college seminarian. So I didn't uh -huh. really care much for liturgy in that sense. Um, so yeah, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll take it. I'll, I'll, I'm pretty good at learning. And I'm, people have said that I'm like a sponge. I just kind of absorb new things and, if I'm open to it, I suppose I just absorb new things and I learned the role and it was quite the ride. It was quite the ride to work and experience ministry from that perspective. So two years of doing that. Mm -hmm. When did you realize it was time to go back into the seminary? After meeting with families, you know, who were grieving the loss of a loved one, because I would meet with them to plan their funerals um, after having all these ministerial experiences of that sort. And even more so the baptisms, meeting with parents for baptisms um, people would always tell me, my, my coworkers said, you were always most happy and most alive when you were at church. It's really? all, it's all the admin stuff in the back that kind of like, I was drowned in. I love doing it. 
um, my spirit animal apparently when I was working there was a meerkat. Because I would okay. spend all day digging holes underneath. <laughs> I would come up for air every now and then, and then I would go back in. Wow. Um, so, yeah. But it was it was after all these experiences of just meeting with people and interacting and seeing the church, quite honestly, for the good, the bad, and the really, really ugly, just in general. Like, I still fell in love. I, I was still in love with the church, and my, uh-huh. my, my vocation was very much still there, palpitating like w- within me, asking me to yearn and come back. And I would always say, no, I'm not going to go back until the heavens open up. And I feel like God <laughs> the Father says to me, all right, son, you can come back to seminary. You can, I want you to be a priest again kind of thing. And while that never actually happened, what ended up happening is I ended up, you know, turning in my letter of resignation to Father Norbert. And I sat with him kind of like across this way. And then he comes over and sits next to me and goes, why are you really leaving? And at that point, I was trying to hold it in, and, and then I just kind of said all these things. I was like, look, I'm just leaving because I just don't feel like I, I, this is where I want to be. This is There's something that I'm still yearning and longing for. This is like a two-hour conversation, maybe two-plus uh-huh. hours of having this conversation with him. And then he asked me towards the end, what do you see yourself doing? I'm like, whatever it is, the job is just going to be being with people, okay, uh-huh. doing what? And I had this like, oh, my gosh, moment, like being a priest. Wow. He didn't have to tell you that. Mm-mm. It came out of you. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was already building in, honestly. Did he already know? Did he tell you oh, later yeah. on? He I knew? Mean, he, he knew from the beginning. That he, he told me even from the get-go that I started the job. He's like, I know you're going to go back. Or like he had an inkling about it. He had wow. holy hours set up throughout the year where I wasn't allowed to be too involved with him. Because it was one of those things where he wanted to have parishioners come and pray for vocations in general, which was the way to cover that. And so there, I remember Carla Jackson, the, the the liturgy director, saying, oh, don't worry. Like, I'll take care of all these logistical things. As in, you can worry about other stuff like funerals or whatever comes up. As in, like, don't worry about this one liturgy. Because so, they're praying for you. Because they're praying for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, they didn't say that, but like, I kind of knew. And I'm just like, of course, I was just like, good luck. <laughs> you know? Did you, so you didn't realize it at the time, but late, or did you catch on? I had a, I had some kind of indication. I mean, there's, there's no way that I can be in liturgy and not even see an email fly here and there about it. When you had decided mm-hmm. and you realized that you wanted to go back in, you had to break the news to your family again. How did it go that time? Was it different? The same thing? Was oh, your wow. was yeah. your niece born already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My niece was born already. Um, and a few nieces were born, definitely. Um, my parents knew. I think it was funny. I remember going to mass with them earlier on when I had left, right? And I remember going to mass with them. And I think that they, they felt like it was nice to have their, their kid back. And I remember after communion, I was just... It's it's a typical seminary thing that we're kind of built up with of like a, a prayer pattern of sorts. So like after communion, of course, I'm going to pray. I'm going to do my prayer of Thanksgiving. I'm just going to. Um, and I went to a Benedictine monastery slash seminary college, uh-huh. so there, it was there was a little bit more contemplative uh, nature to my prayer, I suppose, uh-huh. that they could just feel or or that I exuded. All this to say, I remember sitting in that pew praying my prayer of Thanksgiving after communion, and then afterwards, my mom was like. She whispered in my ear. She was like, if you want to go back to seminary, you can go. Wow. How did that hit you? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was hard. I mean, it was, it was great to hear it. Yeah. And, but, I said, you know, and, she, and she said, too, if that was the only reason why you left, you should know that you can go back now. Wow. I was like, well, I just started this thing, so maybe not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I kept that, right? I, 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 yeah. I kind of. Her giving you that stamp of approval after all those years, mm-hmm. after, Wow. Wow, I would have cried right then and there. I yeah. mean, I'm getting I'm getting a little teary eyed right <laughs> now just thinking about it. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. And how your dad and your brother, how, how are they? And they didn't comment much. Right. And so then fast forward three years and then it's that time to tell them, like, I'm going to go back. They have already been sensing in me, kind of pushing me to realize, like, what are you going to do with your life? Like, you're uh-huh. not happy with your ad. I'm like, you're right. I'm not. There's something agitated. And I felt like St. Augustine, right? Like, I'm, my heart was so restless. I was not settling anywhere in anything. Um, even job wise, like even the job that I love doing was becoming tedious and because there was just some interior restlessness happening. Yeah. So I remember telling my, I, to, I told my dad first, which is funny because I told my mom first last time. So I told my dad first, he said, okay, well, I was like, hey, can I talk to you at some point? He's like, yeah. Also, I need to go to this doctor checkup thing in the woodlands. Can you come with me? He's like, sure. And I need you to drive. He was like, okay, cool. It wasn't serious. It was just a checkup, but he wanted me to drive. So there we are in the car driving, we're getting there. And I'm just like, I just told them in the car, here's what I'm thinking. You've been asking me what I want to do with my life. And here's the answer. Here's this meeting that just happened. I was like, dad, I'm ready to go back. Like, I want to go back. Uh huh. Yeah. It's like, it's time. <laughs> and I remember him just like looking at me and just going like, wow. <clears throat> he said, you know, I figured this is what you wanted to do. Uh-huh. And I'm glad that you finally made this choice. He's like, all I want is for you to make the choice, be happy. And I don't care if I don't understand it, I'm going to support it. Wow. Wow. That is fantastic. I'm sure you prayed for that moment a lot while you were in the seminary the first time. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's that's beautiful. Beautiful moment for your dad to, to say that, you know. And, you know, that sign of saying like you, you know, I know you're your own man now. You're making, you know... And for him to say, I don't completely understand it, to admit that mm-hmm. and to say to you, but go ahead and do it. Wow. Correct. And then it was time to tell my mom, right? So then I get home and I'm like, mom, can we talk? She's like, yeah, here it is. I'm ready to go back. Like, you told me this a long time ago, like two, three years ago now. <laughs> so I'm just kind of fulfilling that. But yeah, I think I'm ready to go back. She's like, okay, good. She's like, I bet you thought that was going to be hard. I was like, yeah, I thought it was going to be hard. I was like, are you kidding me? She's like, yeah, no, it's not that hard. She's like, I'm sure it was harder to tell your dad this time. I was like, it was like more impactful than this. Yeah. She knew. Wow. She already knew. She was wow. like, no. Oh. She's like, good. She's like, well, whatever it is, let me know. Um, if you have, Let me know when I need to show up to whatever. I'll be there. <laughs> I, it, was, it was the same sentiment of like, I don't know. I don't understand this fully, but uh-huh. I will support you regardless. So sure enough, ever since then, it's like, okay, I'm being installed as a lector, the ministry of lector and acolyte. Uh-huh. Here's the mass time. You should come to this. And they were there. Wow. They've been there since. That's fantastic. And then you go into the seminary. Now this time, I'm sure your attitude was a lot different because you know, you've got the support of your family. Mm-hmm. Whereas the first time you go in, you're, you're still kind of torn. Correct. It was definitely different. Um, having their support was very helpful. I think I was also a lot more assured of like, you know, they, they told me from the beginning of my discernment in 2009, that whenever I leave seminary for something like this, that God takes my place. Like God takes your seat at, at that table, you know? Uh-huh. And it's true, but I didn't want to believe it or believe that that could be enough for my parents. Like, yeah, I get that for most families, but not for mine. Like mine are really struggling with this. Like this yeah. is not going to be easy. <laughs> Did you have any other seminarian friends that had similar issues? I think so. But at the time it was so, and maybe, maybe even now, I don't know. It seems more natural to, to speak of those parents who are supportive and for that community to be created than mm-hmm. to have those who don't, don't get the support from their parents and create a community out of that. Although I will say that in some ways I look back on this whole experience and I'm like, I'm glad that it went the way it did. 
in many ways, I saw parents who were almost pushing their kids too much at the, those early years of college, like pushing them to go to seminary and then seeing them struggle through their vocation through that one year or two of discernment and then leave. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want my parents to look like that. I don't know what they're going to look like when they finally do, mm-hmm. but I don't want this cookie cutter sorts of pushy parents of sorts. So it uh-huh. was, it was, I look back and I'm like, thank God that I got, I was like, I, I don't know what I envision my, my supportive parents to look like. But when I finally got them, I was like, this is it. This is the right picture. This is the way. They're still the way they are, but they're willing to go on board. And that's, that's more than I could ever ask for. Wow. Fantastic. Wow. I, I don't know what to say. I'm, yeah. I, I'm just at a loss for words. What a wonderful story with the with the way your your parents came around mm-hmm. and supported you. Now, go, looking at the the next four years, I guess it was like a weight was lifted off of your shoulders mm-hmm. when was, you go in. I was a lot more happy, right? There was a lot more joy. There was a lot more like almost like I was it, was. it was very surreal too to realize I am this happy and they are this supportive and they are still confused but they're still supportive they want to go on board with this all they want is for me to be happy and that was enough for me to hear too even being in seminary like i never even like i picked up some other you know ways of when i was working you know at the parish there was a sense of professionalism that i needed to kind of adapt a little bit maybe tone down a little bit as far as expectations sort of came in seminary i shouldn't expect if i see like a piece of trash on the floor that the guys are going to just know to pick it up kind of thing Uh uh-huh or expect that the maintenance crew would come and get that. Like it does take some more of that Christian virtue and charity to like realize I can do that too. Mm. Not, not that I wasn't doing that when I was working, but it was there was a sense of accountability when when at at a professional job that's whose job is it to do this kind of thing. Yes. And when you add the Christian dimension to that reality of work and and work ethics, it changes a little bit. So I had to almost mold that back in with how does this look like from a Christian perspective, like to do something like this. So. I'm also very OCD. I love <laughs> having a clean room and a clean hallway. I feel like that was that was my kind of love language, which my you know my uh, classmates didn't know that until later on when I told them you know some of those ways that I express uh, my love language for them is uh, is cleaning after them kind of thing, or like just kind of tending, make sure things things are hospitable, they're uh-huh. set, they're ordered, yeah, they're ready to receive them. That was that's kind of what the thing I want to the message I want to get across to them. Did you pick that up from your family? Mm-hmm. Although my mom, yeah, the, I learned that actually last two years ago, last year, in third, in third theology. Um, like, have you seen the movie Coco? Yes. Okay. You know that one scene where, like, Miguelito, the little kid, and he's sitting at a table, and grandma's coming around with, like, the second batch of tamales. Yes. And he's like, here, have some more. And she's like, oh, no, grandma, like, I'm good, I'm full. And then she was like, what? There's this look of shock. I was like, I said, what did do you, you say to me? said, more tamales? Exactly. And then he just goes, I'll have one more too. And then she puts, and I think he says, I'll have one more. And there's two that go on the plate. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Normal, well, maybe it's two and then three go on the plate. I don't remember. <laughs> we just we just thought about that. I was like, that's home. Whenever I'm home, my mom's like, do you want more food? I'm like, yeah, I'll have more enchilada. That's great. Here's three more. I'm like, I didn't say three more. I want one more. But okay, I'm going to eat it. All this to say, like, I realized that was kind of me too. It was like, I'm going to. The love language for me, though, I received it with food from my parents, from my mom especially. So the way I'm translating that is my cleanliness, like my, my OCD-ness. I mm-hmm. can be tamed enough to show it as a love language. So, yeah, that's how I I kept, like, communal restrooms were immaculate. You can ask any of my converse. Yeah. <laughs> Deacon Christopher, Deacon Jacob, they'll tell you. Um, I was a big clean freak. I probably got on, on their nerves too much about that. So Really? Yeah. <laughs> Did they, so they I, was, misunderst- I was a bit of a pain. They misunderstood it. I, that's what it was. I, I also, yeah, I, I also 
the way I, I did it was not always very charitable either. <laughs> okay. So you were working with that too. Yeah. With my own humanity, I guess my own adapting this way of expressing that and my also realizing that they're not always going to see it that way, right? Uh-huh. Until I say something. <laughs> so. Now, where did you spend your uh, pastoral year? At St. Teresa's in Sugarland. Yeah. What was that like? It was great. I had a, I had a blast there. I actually got to know this parish a lot more at St. Faustina because of that, because it was kind of relatively close, um, especially the group, the KYA, mm-hmm. young adult group. I was able to come to some of these events. And the thing about pastoral year is like, well, while, while being in the parish and working there is, is great. It's beautiful. It fosters a vocation and it, it affirms you. It was nice to kind of get away to every now and then and just kind of have a different place to pray, mm-hmm. different environments, which is why I would always come here as well. So you, you spent your time there, but every once in a while you'd come to St. Faustina mm-hmm. and pray. Did we have this building already? Uh, yes, yes. Okay. We did. It wasn't that early on, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what years were you, what year was you, were you there in, uh, Again, I'm really St. Teresa. bad at math. Um, it was at least three years ago now. Okay. So, yeah. I'll let you figure that out. Those numbers. <laughs> was Gabe already there? He was there. So I, I guess I can I can situate this much time timeline wise. It was a, a, the the pandemic had really and everything shut down my second semester there. Uh-huh. So like the first half was fine, and then it wasn't until March of my pastoral year as I was getting more into it, uh-huh. which is funny because that's when I was doing a lot of more practical things. I was having a lot more trainings, and we were kind of like starting to implement things, and we, we were gonna like you know. You had all uh, these launch plans. it, yeah. With the, with the pastor, with the Proko Vicar, we were ready to launch, and then everything shut down. Wow, what so was that, that like being in your pastoral year, and then the pandemic locking everything down? It was it was difficult to be honest. It was it was very hard to see a parish so empty. Yes, it was it was heartbreaking. <laughs> I, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, we we were my family and I. We were <clears> here <throat> during the the first days of the the lockdown Mm -hmm. and you know we we helped do the online mass and just to see a mass going on with just all the empty pews it it was really heartbreaking so you had that going on as well yeah and also the fact that i was the only server and person who was at mass that was also being recorded live streamed right for the people Uh um i kind of sometimes forgot the responses myself you know you know, the, the, you know mm-hmm. at the beginning, Father would say, the Lord be with you. And I'm just like, I mean, that one was obvious, right? But the, there's a few others throughout the Mass that I'm just like, yes. oh, that's only me. Like there, there's, oh, not, you there's not an echo of community that also oh, comes with me on this. Yes. And it's not so much that I forgot the the response. I think it was more that I realized I'm alone. It kept telling me, like, you're alone, dude. It's just you. It's just you and the priest. Wow. I think that was probably the most Yeah, you realize that the, the, you are the community. <laughs> I am the community. Representing the community in that Mass. Yeah. Wow, because, because people are responding at home, but you can't hear exactly. them. Exactly, and people—I mean, there was one person I was talking to, one parishioner there, and I was like, "I was like, it's like, dude, it's hard. It's hard to like be at mass and not have y'all there. Like, I feel like it's kind of unfair too. Like, who am I to be there? Like, you know, it could oh, be any one of you gosh. to be there too, right?" And they were just like, "Yeah, but it's not." One I had of to us. struggle with that. Yeah, they were like, "It's you." Yeah, and and he told me he's like, "Don't." He's like, "Don't feel bad about that. Like, you are there." close to the altar, serving in the capacity you are, you intercede on our behalf. You are there as our rep. Be there. Be faithful and pray that. Wow. You know, I wish somebody had told me that because I struggled with that during the pandemic. I was like, why, why do I deserve to be, mm-hmm. why do I deserve to be one of the few people mm-hmm. that gets communion? Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, that was tough. That was tough to deal with, just to wrap your head around. 
So you you are in there. You have to put all your plans aside. You said mm-hmm. you had all this stuff planned out. Everything you're about to launch was that very frustrating. It was. Um, it's also part of my you know my flaw human nature of wanting to take control of things and doing things and executing things on my own plan and doing. And it was also very humbling to realize like no, this is God asking you to just calm down. Like just everything's shutting down. There was some goodness about this, right? Like I got everything slowed down. Um, and well, some of the biggest lessons I've learned while well, on pastor year was realizing like, I'm not the pastor, like that the weight of the people that, I, that I'm starting to love and interact with, it's not on me to carry. The load is not on me to carry. Um, and if the pastor seems it right to do one thing or another, I have to just support that vision, you know? Now the deacons who were, uh, who were deacons at that time, the transitional deacons at that time, they were stuck at their, at the seminary because mm-hmm. of, you know, quarantine, they didn't, you know, were you stuck at St. Teresa and not able to go back to uh, St. Mary's? I was committed to St. Teresa's. Yeah. I think I just... I'm stuck is not a good yeah, word. No, 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 yeah, sure. no, but, that's fine. I just, yeah, I think I was definitely just, well, I wanted to stay there. I wanted to stay at St. Teresa's. Uh-huh. I knew that we, we were doing like, we had all this food and like in the, in our Simmons in the Paul pantry and they were like, it's going to go bad. We should just see who needs it. Who isn't unable to mm. go out of their homes. And we're like, let's do it. Let's get, a, I, so there That's was a volunteer yeah. who was with me. We rode in his large van and loaded the, the whole van with all the stuff. And we got instructions through email on how to do it. I had to be inducted or signed on to the official Simmons in the Paul society of sorts in order for me to do this work. It's kind of funny. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so we we went, huh, we, we, the parishioner had some contact information for some people. So he just kind of spread the word and called them up, got their addresses. And he's like, hey, we're, we're going to swing by your house and drop this off. And some people were very receptive of seeing somebody from church, right? Like, yes, you're here. You're here. Like, yeah, the church is here. We're coming to you just to give you some food. Yeah. Um, it's very small, but also very meaningful. Some people were in tears, obviously. It was kind of cool to see oh. that. Yeah. Others were a lot more weary, which is normal. So we would leave yeah, the, the you're food scared. by the yeah. door and we would just kind of back up. And they would ask us to either come close or they would just keep a distance and really, really express how much they love us, but they can't. You know, they, they just didn't know. Because so, this was the early days of the pandemic. This is, this when, is the early. Yeah. When no one knew anything about Mm-mm. anything. Right. Right. I think I was even afraid I even just touched the doorknob on the way out. I remember <laughs> the per- the other Perkovicker in residence at the parish, at the rectory, would come out every now and then. Uh-huh. Like you could just see him open his door and just kind of you hear the spray going on. And he was wiping down the doorknob. So it was mm. kind of interesting. And then we all eventually settled into it. You know, it, it became what it was. But it was it was difficult. Now, <clears throat> you went back to the seminary mm-hmm. after not being able to launch some of those things. What was your attitude going back into the seminary after your pastoral year? Yeah, so it, it was nice to be able to have done the work. Um, the work was kept in storage and files in my own computer, so it's not like uh-huh. it just went completely to waste. Um, I, I did everything from flyers to, you know, succinct reviews with the pastor on what norms and protocols and the, for communion, and it was things like this. It was just day-to-day things. Uh-huh. I kept all these things, and I kept a copy of that there as well. Um, so coming back to seminary, I just kind of kept all these things in my computer, Um and so my attitude was like, I just, it just feels like I didn't have closure, right? Because mm-hmm. even though things were starting to open up slowly, not everybody was coming back at first. So I'm, my pastor year ended and I didn't really have closure. It was just kind of like, and then he left. Aww. And the funny thing is, if I just fast forward really briefly, I end up being assigned uh, to my deacon parish for this last year at the Co-Cathedral. And so there was a deacon at the time who was at the Co-Cathedral you know, uh-huh. two years ago. Um, he's also taught, his name is, uh, his name is now Father Robert 
Moreno. He's from the Diocese of Brownsville. Okay. So he's tall, has hair, tall, brown, you know. And so I get to the Co-Cathedral even now, and people are coming back after a few years even uh-huh. now, and they're like, oh, you're still here. We know you. I'm like, no, 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 not that person. But that's okay. I'm not Robert. But yes, he's gone now. He's a priest. You should. This is actually good news for you. <laughs> wow. So yeah. So you're there now. How is how does that differ from being in another parish rather, you know, being in the co-cathedral? Um, the co-cathedral is very unique. Um, it's commonly looked at or known as a more of a commuter parish. I didn't even realize beforehand to a certain extent that it was even a parish. I think it was just, I thought it was just a cathedral. Uh-huh. Um, but no, it's definitely a parish, which means that they have their own employees of sorts. They have things like catechetical formation. There's things that happen just like they would at any parish. But And of course, all of that, marriage prep meetings, um, formation classes for you know the the young ones for first communion prep and all this stuff all the way to confirmation it all happens on weekends so those sundays are just jam-packed with activities plus masses plus confessions plus everything that you can think of it just all happens in one day during the week it's people who work downtown but Mm -hmm. the weekends it's the people who who live in that area there's some people who definitely most of them live outside the downtown and they okay. commute in for mass oh, okay. um, i don't remember i don't even know what the daily crowd looks like because I, I wasn't there for daily masses but uh-huh. it was the weekends when i would see a more constant flow of people who have made the co-cathedral their home or who have been there since the old co-cathedral was just across the street uh-huh. across the block so it was nice and having spent summer in galveston uh doing the propedeutic program with father richard uh-huh. um was nice to kind of get this historical kind of walk of sorts journey to start in Galveston where it all began, where the church began, you know, in, in, in Texas at least. And then kind of come at it from, I'm there, I saw the history, I saw all those churches. And then now I'm going to go to the co-cathedral where it continues on. Did you ever think about maybe they could send me back to St. Teresa because they have an unfinished business there? Mm, um, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I hope so. I would want to go anywhere, honestly. I can't, I can't be biased about but where I, mean, I would want to go. But I mean, for your um, diaconate year. Um. I was, I, that was never in my radar. I think that was told to me kind of pretty soon on, like that's not where I would be going back okay. to. Yeah. Yeah. They, they want to spread you around, yeah. expose you to different parishes, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Did you ever think, oh, why couldn't I have gone to a different parish rather than being in the co-cathedral? I almost went to Our Lady of Fatima in Galena Park. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it's close to the ship channel. And the irony of having to go to Our Lady of Fatima is that that's actually my, that was my first summer assignment in 2010. As a, as a seminarian, you know, like uh-huh. I did my one year and then in the summer you're assigned somewhere. Yes. And that's where I was assigned. I was just assigned to be at that parish. Um, and I remember that the pastor at the time, Father Vicente Ajila, had just started there like at the end of June slash July. Uh-huh. So whoever received me left. And then it's funny, I don't remember that pastor that much. Um, it was kind of a weird situation. Anyway. I ended up there, I ended up at this parish, and it was so cool to see this new young priest come in as previously vicar at St. Cecilia's, coming in as pastor for the first time. And he had been there this entire time. And so it was so nice to kind of reconnect with him after many years. Wow. After St. Teresa's, actually. After St. Teresa's, I ended up being that summer at his parish, and then I got COVID and I had to recover back at St. Teresa's old rectory. Um, but I remember just meeting with Father Vicente, like we would have those late night dinner talks and I'm just like, how was your day? Like, and I was just like, tell him, I was like, I really want to pick your brain. You can stop me whenever you want. But like, uh-huh. what was those eight, 10 years like so far? Cause that's how long I was in seminary. It's like, yes. how has this whole time been for you? 
What are some of the challenges? What are some of your maybe successes? And where have you maybe failed? Not to like to criticize, but like where where did you think you did, didn't do so well, or what didn't work out? What did you find most helpful, most useful? Um, it was so nice to just kind of see him open up to. He was very like receptive. He was mm. very vulnerable at many times at some points and times. The man has a lot of energy for days. Like he keeps a very very strict regimen of like working out. Like during this pandemic summer, he was he would always work out. It was like clockwork. We would pray morning prayers as a community. We would have masses the three of us. It was myself and Deacon Christopher who were there. Um, so did you work out with him? No. So he had his own little exercise equipment in his garage, and okay. so he was doing that. Every now and then I would go and like go for a walk or just run around the area or not. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I found other ways to, I guess, stay healthy mentally, I guess. That's cool that you, you kind of saw him as a mentor that way, mm-hmm. going seeing him twice early on in your discernment yeah. and then later on. Mm-hmm. And so, so why didn't you go there? Why'd you go to the Co-Cathedral? There instead? was a need, uh, the Co-Cathedral, the only Spanish-speaking deacon or the only other Spanish-speaking deacon who was there had just kind of retired. And okay. so they kind of wanted someone else to go. I think Father Jeff had expressed a need for more help. And so Father Richard just kind of found it prudent to be able to go there, especially since Saint, since since Our Lady of Fatima already had a deacon, primary deacon assigned to the parish. They were pretty set. Um, and it was pandemic time, too. There wasn't a whole lot going on either. Uh-huh. So he, they felt like he just felt like it was better for me to go to the Co-Cathedral and do my, my year there. Now, you say you speak Spanish. Are you completely fluent? I'm pretty fluent. Um, every now and then it's a little rusty, uh-huh. so I have to kind of get it out. But for the most part, I can speak it, yeah. Can native uh, speakers discern, the, 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 you know, differentiate between you and uh, and uh, somebody who, you know, who's like a native speaker? I think so. I think so. Like, especially when I'm in Mexico, like it just comes out like, like nothing. Oh, it like, becomes more natural. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and even yeah. when I'm here with people, it, it takes me a little bit, like a, a sentence or two. Uh-huh. When I'm warmed up, it's done. But the problem every now and then that I encounter is using big words, I guess, because I don't use big typical words because I'm thinking them in English and then I got to translate. So that's kind of how my, my brain works is I'm translating as I'm speaking in English into uh-huh. Spanish, which makes it just a little bit harder to do a on the spot Spanish homily that's only in English, which I did challenge her to do that at the Co-Cathedral. Oh boy. I said, I'm going to do an English, an, an English homily written out and then I have to translate on the spot just to see how that would look like in the future if wow. I ever had to be put in a situation where I had to do that. Wow. When you're, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're you're pressed for time and you don't, mm-hmm. that's tough. It is. It was. It was a little challenging. I had, it was fun to do at the same time. It was affirming to realize like, that's really good to know that I can still do something like this. Um, I even ended up doing like my grandmother's, when she when she passed away, I ended up going to Mexico. We did like the novena and the prayers and the, and all this stuff. And uh-huh. they looked at me because I was going to be a priest, right? Like uh-huh. I was they like, oh well, you can do it. It's like okay, cool. So I did it. I I, I led part of the rosary slash prayers, and the, my, even my parents were my formators abroad because they said you were a little rocky at the beginning. You know, you need to just ground yourself in that confidence. Like you, you, it's in there. Just know that you know it. And uh-huh. then once like day two, day three happened, they were like, you got so comfortable with it. You got, you, you were just, it was just natural to you to just pray in this language. That's And awesome. I think that's also part of it, right? Like I grew up learning about the faith in English. I grew up learning as in like really, really mm-hmm. expanding my knowledge of it in English. My prayers, my pocketbook of prayers was only English. Um, I knew basic Spanish prayers, don't get me wrong, but like my spirituality and devotions were Spanish, but everything else was English, knowledge, text. Uh-huh. So doing a homily, that was, that was a little harder, right? Because I can't just translate the same 
even conceptually. Now, since you're bilingual, did the was there any thought of sending you to the Vatican to study because sort of how they sent Father Joseph? Was there any talk about that? No. I think my grades uh, told them otherwise. <laughs> so, yeah, I was a pretty average person. Like, again, it was just, it was a lot going on uh, emotionally, I guess, in my own person. Mm. I My studies were the last, which is honestly probably why I went from UD to St. Joseph's Seminary College, because they gave me not just an easier, like, workload academically, but it was just it was just a different, better place of community for me to like, really discern and foster what it is that God was asking me to do at that time. And maybe um, they figured, okay, um, you know, they, they knew that the struggles your family were, were having yeah. early on. They probably, okay, we're not going to send them this. across yeah. the ocean. Oh, yeah. Louisiana is the farthest we'll take them. We'll right? take them across the lake. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Now that you're practically done with the seminary, let's talk about life in the seminary. Because we've talked, this mm. is something we ask yeah. all of the seminary. I heard. In terms of pranks. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Here we go. And the childishness and... You know, just guys being rowdy and all of that. Have you been involved in any of those pranks? I've Masterminded been anything? on the other end of it. Oh, um, you've been pranked. I've been pranked. It was once, <laughs> it wasn't anything major. Again, I'm very OCD. I'm a very clean, organized person. I think you know maybe where I'm going with this. So that some of my friends, and I had this like um, bunk bed system in my in my room. We used to stay in these smaller rooms now, but this is before the new dorm. Uh-huh. We call it like the little matchbox, you know. So they're tall, but they're very skinny. Okay. So the only way to go is up, you know? So like I got this bunk bed system going that somebody gave me. I inherited it from another deacon who had left. And so the bed was up was up there and at the bottom was just like a desk area. Anyway, okay. So all this to say, like my mattress was just like off of it, hanging, flying out somewhere else. They had put a bunch of like toilet paper in there and they had put all my stuff was just out of order. And also it also didn't take a whole lot to get to me because it, for me, like if I have like three pillows in a uh-huh. certain order in my bed, they were just like out or like inverted the the sheets. Like everything was just out and everywhere. Uh-huh. Drawers were just open, like okay. and like layered out open and, and it was just it was a mess. It was a mess. I hated to be in my room. <laughs> I was like, and even the rug, like my little carpet was like off centered. And I'm just like, it drove me so crazy. You said your mattress was off. What, what do you mean? Like it wasn't like in the bed frame. It was just like hanging out. Oh, so again, it was tall. Right. So, so they knew like how flying. OCD you were. So they went in and they just said, let's just make this rug a little crooked. This is going to drive mm-hmm. him crazy. Let's open these things. Yeah. It, so it wasn't huge, but it was driving you nuts. Oh, it, it worked. Trust me, it, it did the job for me. I was, I was just, I mean, I wasn't mad. I, I actually did laugh at them. They also kind of primed me by sending me a picture. Like there were, there were, it was a proud selfie of, of all of them in my room as a mess. So that was just like, what is happening? Whose room are you in? I get there and I'm like, it's my room. And then eventually I laughed. I, I laughed really hard. Who was in the picture? Um, a few of the guys had already discerned out. Um, I think now Deacon Fernando from the Diocese of Austin, who's one of my classmates, was there. Uh-huh. Um, another friend, his name is Jeffrey Yashik. He was there. Nick Aparicio. I can't think of the rest of them. I would have to find the picture again. But those were those were the biggest. Uh, you know, That's funny puppets. how they just did did these small things and it drove you nuts. It's a small house, like you know how to get to each other, you know, and how to hit those nerves. So yeah. 
I mean, they didn't have to do anything crazy like wrap things in plastic or, mm. or you know, anything that some people do, you know, wrap everything in tinfoil. Nope. They just moved a few things and they're yeah. like, this is going to drive them crazy. Mm -hmm. That's hilarious. And so I eventually I became someone who spent a lot more time with the community in seminary. So my door would be always open. Uh -huh. So every now and then my, one of my classmates uh, would always like go in my room just slightly because my bed was by, was by the door and would just like knock the pillow over. And I would get to my room, and I'm just like in my room, trying to work. And then I, I look, I turn around, and I'm like, "Why is this down? This is bothering me that it's down." Or like <laughs> this was moved off center. I've learned to tame that a lot more. Don't get me wrong; like I've, I've uh -huh. learned to let go of a lot. You can literally ask my formator uh, because this year I, I got to do my house job was flowers, so it was altar flowers. Okay. Which I was like, I did gardening during the COVID when when I came back in that third year when we were in lockdown at seminary. I, I love getting like working like that, getting my hands dirty, you know, digging holes, kind of thing. Like this is cool. I can like meerkat, right? That was some sort of animal. I'm like a meerkat. Yeah. I'll dig holes. I'll, I I will learn about this. I will learn how to propagate a plant. Like this is kind of cool because I was limited to going out and getting new stuff. So when they said you're gonna do altar flowers now, and I'm like, I have no idea how to do this. This is not at all the same. <laughs> Yes, I'm. I can be creative, but like this is uh -huh. not the same. I don't know how to keep him like in one place like that and create whateverness. Like, no, I learned how to do it. And then there were days when I would be really frustrated with it, and other days when I would eventually. Uh, the, my formator was there in the sacristy when I was working, and I'm. Just, he's like, um, "How's it going?" I was like, "You know what? This thing has fallen. Like, it has <laughs> knocked over twice already. I've used already four blocks of foam. I'm done." And I remember one time it was also kind of falling over again uh -huh. and I just held on to it with one hand and I remember looking for something like just to hold it in place. I found uh -huh. a knife <laughs> and I just like stuck the foam and, and stuck it all in together and it, it worked. <laughs> and that was, that's when I realized, oh, I can like all this. Like, this is not. And sure enough, I would just put it on the altar. I wasn't worried about like, is this rose on the left side matching with the other right side on the tabernacle? Like, is it, is it symmetrical? Also, that's how OCD you were. That's how OCD I could have been and was, I guess, yeah. So and that was I, a lesson I, for I, you. I let that go immediately because flowers were challenged me to realize we're going to, we grow and we do things differently and they blossom at different times and they die at different times. And I'm like, well, I'm not dealing with you for more than a week. So once I put water in, like once I put water in your little pot thing, we're done. When but, you become a priest, <laughs> do you think that the the parishioners or the staff or you know, or the, the acolytes and the deacons and the and the the altar kids are gonna say, Oh, it's Father Luis. He wants everything perfect. We gotta make sure everything's in the exact right place. That's a fair question. Um I hope that it's they might say that, yeah, but I hope that they're not tormented by that question. Okay. I I hope that I can instill a more relaxed Hey, I'm not expecting you to do this for me. I can do this myself if I'm going to mm. do it. Like, don't think that it's on you to do it. Um, yeah. Because this is also just kind of part of the way I, even I, I was conditioned uh, back at, you know, St. Ignatius. But the Norbert is also very meticulous and very particular, which uh -huh. is good to have at a parish. Um, and I think when I adapted his, that, that talent, I, I took it, I took it as my own and just ran with it. And then it made this OCD person. <laughs> so I remember like, always like, you know, when we would have our chapel, it was these wide doors and the Paschal candle had to be right in the middle uh -huh. of the line of when the two doors met. Okay. Um, so I was always very careful to do that. And I remember even Philanova would come in and would adjust that. So it's like, I can let go. It's okay. <laughs> now that we're looking forward to your mm. ordination, have you thought about what parish you'll end up at? 
Um, wherever the Lord wills, I guess. Um, I really have enjoyed my time at the Co-Cathedral. I've had such a great mentor in Father Jeff Bain. He's just been really good. Like he's just put a lot of trust in me, I think. And mm-hmm. he treated me like a cleric. He treated me like an adult, like a, like, like a confer, like some, like one of his own kind of thing. He gave me a lot of independence. And at the same time, he did give me a lot of work, um, which I don't regret. I remember telling him one day, he told me the other day I had almost, I think most of the masses I was preaching at them. I had both group baptisms on a Sunday and I had the 5.30 mass, you know, that Sunday evening. And then we went back to his office and then he's like, how are you feeling? I was like, I am spent. Like, I'm so tired right now. <laughs> and I said, but I did. So I was like, but honestly, like also I want to just add to that. Thank you for letting me experience this feeling of tiredness because I know that that's probably how it'll be. Uh, yes. And then I got to add the layer of not just assisting in mass, but being the celebrant, what that takes out of you as well. Yes. Plus he was hearing confessions too in between. Oh, yes. That so takes like, toll. this is going to be, this is just a, a foretaste sort of of what I could yes. experience. And so he just wanted me to know if one, I was comfortable or okay with that or what I felt about that really. Uh-huh. It was very, very good to, and I said, thank you. Because at the same time, even I, I, I came right out of me because I remember throughout the day I had like, it was a busy day and I only had like 50 minutes here to pray this office and daytime prayer here and between baptisms, I was getting this other one and it was just like, ah, um, or after masses and between masses, I was getting like morning prayers. Like, oh, I have to get this, I have to get this said, I have to get this prayed. Uh-huh. But also like the people that come to me after mass, like they give you so much reasons to pray for them. And so you're like, great. If I, if I had no motivation to pray, because, you know, sometimes we don't want to pray. The people come to me with their needs. Uh-huh. And what they want me to pray with, I'm like, great, I will offer up my praying of this office of readings of the Psalms with their intention in mind. Or, And at the end of the day, I said, Father Jeff, like, I'm so glad that you gave me this very busy day. I feel very spent, uh-huh. but there's no other way that I see myself, envision myself being spent than in this way. That is for awesome. For the church, for the Lord. Like, I, like so how, I like how you take that and say, in a positive way. All of that work, all mm-hmm. of that busyness, all of the load, and t- you took that in a positive way. Like this is a taste of what mm-hmm. what's in store for me. I've got to be ready for this. It kind of just came to me, honestly. It was like, I, and other than I have to, but it was like, this is what it's gonna be like. Like I can't, like when I want to complain about it, it's like this is this is what it is. This is this is what what awaits me and more. Uh-huh. This is but what also, I signed up for. So, here's so much goodness. Like at the yeah. end of a Sunday, I don't just want to like you know go golfing or like go do whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but like, I don't just want to do that. I think people expect their priest at the end of a Sunday to just spend time in prayer still, like continue praying, mm-hmm. praying for them. And while that, that prayer could look like, you know, just sitting in your lounge chair, taking it all in. But there's a certain expectation of like us spending time too with the one who called us, even at the end of a busy day, like relaying everything to him, which if nothing else, I learned that from doing CPE when we did chap- chaplaincy ministry at Houston Methodist downtown. It's like, we experience a lot, a lot of people, a lot of death, a lot of suffering. Mm, yeah. What am I going to do with that? I can carry it and pretend like I can just manage on my own. Like I don't have a savior or I can literally go to him. It's like, mm. here, laying it at your feet. Like this is, these yes. are your people. This is, this is their needs. Like tend to them. Have you thought about what parish you're going to end up? Mm. So I love the Co-Cathedral, right? I really love it there. I, I love St. So Teresa's. you think that's the... I don't know. It could be anywhere. I mean, I could go there. I could go... All I know is it'll likely be a large parish. You think you end up organized. Prince of Peace? I mean, it could be here. It could be anywhere. I mean, I don't know about Prince of Peace, but I think Prince of Peace, is, since that's my home parish, I don't see them making that mm. move, but I could be wrong. 
I could be wrong. Um, I don't know. It could also be St. Ignatius, honestly. Or they might realize, well, he's already been there. He worked there. That yes. could be both a good thing and a bad thing. Like, do we want to have him with more exposure? Have so, you noticed that they've this wanted to spread guys around? Mm-hmm. They've already been there for their pastoral year. They've already been there for their diaconate year. Mm-hmm. Want to, you know, spread them around the whole community so everybody gets to know them. I've noticed that um, a few guys sell them cases have stayed in those particular parishes though. So that's been nice. So there are exceptions mm-hmm. to the rule because mm-hmm. this year there's a lot of anticipation in terms of not just where your class is going, but past mm-hmm. classes like the class of uh, the class of priests a couple of years ago, because all those priests are set to move, mm-hmm. you know, father David Michael's class there. A lot of them are, set to move to different parishes it's their time's pretty much up yeah so has has there been any whispers have you heard anything has anyone hinted to you where anyone might go i think there's always like maybe you'll go here maybe you'll go there but the reality is this is also a very interesting year where there's just a lot of more pastors and who are retiring, which means that mm. there's a lot more bigger spots to fill, oh. which means that until those are filled, then we get in the picture. And because, for example, they may have one in mind already for me, but if they're going to move that pastor somewhere else because of a certain need, yes, they can't quite assign me there yet. They can't commit to me being there. So oh, you, they don't want two new people in the same. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. Or they, I mean, they obviously know that I would need someone who's a lot more seasoned. Yes. To be. Um, as a mentor, someone like, you know, Monsignor Borski, who's, even though he's retired, but like, like someone who's up there, like Father Dat, like uh-huh. Father Norbert. Um, yeah. Since you're pretty fluent in Spanish, you're thinking they're going to send you to a yeah. community much, with... Mm-hmm. I can tell you that much. Even in my interview with the, with the Cardinal, he said, you can be assured you'll be going to somewhere where you'll be using a lot of your Spanish. So uh, I, I said the same thing to him. I was majority like, Spanish-speaking what he said. community. He also said that the statistics of the dice is like more than half of them are... Spanish speaking. Yeah, that's good. So yeah. that's also where probably where he was deducing his argument or his hint at me of going somewhere where was, I'm going to use it a lot. I um, mean, here at St. Faustina, there's a big <clears throat> Spanish speaking population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be anywhere. St. Jesus has a big one too. Mm-hmm. Coca Cathedral is kind of small. So but we'll see. But we can, we, but it can grow. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about your ordination day itself. We've talked to some of the priests that have been on the show. When you're there during your ordination and you're laying prostrate, what's going to be going through your head? Gosh, um, man, yeah, that's a good question. Are you going to think about those times, the whole journey that you had with your parents? You're going to think about the time that you discerned out and coming back in? Mm Mm-hmm. Is that what's going to be number one? I think I'm going to carry all that in my heart for sure. It's, it's going to be part of what's going to be beating down on the on the marble floor there, right? It is all that reality because I'm 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 recalling the experience of diaconate too, having done the same thing. Um, there was just there was a lot that was going through my head. I really just asking the church, with the church, praying with the church, interceding for me for this future ministry that I'm being called to, and sharing in. Um, I remember specifically like when Cardinal laid hands on me, um, there was a certain weight and I was like, oh, he's really like laying on me. Like he's really putting his weight on me. Uh But also the way I describe it, it's like, it was almost like almost him transferring his sense of authority or power of sorts to be with the people and deal with them in the, in the, this diaconal way, right. And diaconate ministry as a way to say here, 
take this load and go and serve in this capacity. Mm -hmm. So being prostrate, yeah, it's going to be this probably feeling of other priests have said it, said, said this too, and I think I'm going to feel this too. This feeling of like unworthiness of like this is, this mm. is this, it's come to this point, and I don't know that I'm still worthy of doing something like this, honestly. Even at this point, yeah. Like in the sense of like, um, it's not so much me doing the church a favor. It's more like God doing me a favor by calling me to this vocation, in which I will be, hopefully, uh, go to heaven and get people that come with me as well in the process. Looking back at your time at the seminary, what will you remember the most? Hmm. Looking back at my time in seminary, I think I'm going to remember the late night conversations, the late night runs to Whataburger, um, <laughs> cramming in for exams, but like the experience of that, like the conversations that we've had, the moments of encounter with the Lord are going to be big too. Whether it's what, whether it was things that happened in the hallway and conversations with people that I, that I interacted with and especially being in prayer. Those are the two things I think I'm going to Remember the most. Right after your ordination, do you have uh, <laughs> weddings and baptismals and stuff to take care of? Have you been already booked for um, that month after? Some people have asked me to baptize their kids. And even my own cousin was telling me, I'll wait till you're a priest. I was like, you can do it. You can do it now. But anyway, <laughs> um, nothing official, nothing in any books because I don't know where I'll be. I, I, I don't like to plan ahead that much in that sense. So just catch with them. Once once ordination happens, I'm going to catch him and then figure out what my new assignment will allow me to do and time-wise. But um, yeah, there's people who are excited about that. Um, there's people even in Mexico. So I'm going to go do a massive Thanksgiving back in my hometown. Oh, that would be fantastic. And so there's going to be this entire thing that's going to happen, wow. um, which at that point I've kind of like for the Houston because I was able to go to his first mass and his reception was very lively and culturally huge. Uh -huh. It was just bursting with culture. Um, I'm going to be in Mexico and I may be riding in. They told me this already. I have no say in this. I'm going to be riding in on a horse um, at the oh, entrance of the town. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> probably with cassock or something, I don't know, but depending on boots, very likely boots, uh, with people who will meet me at the entrance of, of my little hometown and people from across the other towns, the neighboring towns are going to hear about this. So they're also going to be there. They're going to have like a banda. So like a lot of instruments and like music playing. Wow. Processing me into my first. And they told you this, you oh, have to be on a this. horse. They told me this already. Yeah. <laughs> well, I said, it was like, what are you going to do? Like put me on a horse or a donkey? And they're like, that's a good idea. I was like, oh, I just gave you, I just gave you something to do. <laughs> Because I was being, I was being like sarcastic. I didn't think they would actually take me up on that. And they were like, and then sure enough, like, like in the next day, my dad was like, "Guess what? You're like my my compadre found the horse. He's very docile, so he's like, I'm like whatever." And he was like, "Then don't sidestep." I was like, "I'm not gonna sidestep on a horse. Like, I mean, I never been on one, but like, I'm not gonna sidestep either. Calm down." So they're like, "Yeah, it's gotta be a big horse. You're a pretty big guy." I know, right? It's gonna be enough to carry me. That's true. How how tall are you? Six two. Six two. There. See. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And so I'm going to be processing it with all these people. And there's this banner with my face on it, which I was like, I really don't want my face on a banner. It's like, why am I, why am I welcoming myself? But whatever. Again, I have no say in this. And then they're going to bring out the um, kind of image or statue of the patronal saint of the town, which is a sacred heart, which is, I have a huge devotion to, by the way. So they're going to bring him down in procession. And then uh -huh. he's going to meet me at some point and take me to the place where I'm going to celebrate my first mass there. Wow. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. Music, fireworks going off in the middle of the day. It's going to be a whole thing. Oh, I'm laughing not at the, yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah. I'm laughing at the way it, you must yeah. be thinking. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, if I was part of that town, I'd be doing the same thing too. 
mm-hmm. jumping in and with, yeah, with the horror. I'd be like, yeah, fireworks, let's do everything. Let's have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the little banners on top of everything, all the colors. I'd probably be the first person, like, give me a loudspeaker. I'm going to announce yeah. him in and everything, you know, the <laughs> Michael Buffer style. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That is, be fun. is is any of this going to be live streamed so we can see this? That's literally everyone's question. Um, I assume so. Um, do you have a social media account where they can share that? I would have to find out. I don't know oh, who's going to do it or how it's going to happen. I may need to talk to you off off camera after this to kind of find out how if that if that's a possibility how we could do that for if people. If you will, we'll share it on in the pews. Okay. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. <laughs> I would love to see that. Mm-hmm. That is because the the last group of um priests that were ordained mm-hmm. yeah i really tried to search online to watch all of their first masses and everything mm-hmm. yeah so that would be that would be great i think there's a way to work with that for sure i just need to find out how we can do that mm-hmm. all right one last question go for it looking forward to your future parish what do you want the parishioners to know about you before you even arrive hmm. i think i would want them to know that it's been I mean, obviously, it's been a long time coming for me to become a priest of Jesus Christ. Um, There is a lot of love for them that I already have. I've already almost been praying for them, praying for the community that God will give me, the flock that I will be entrusted with and share with this care for them, with the pastor that I'll be with. I want them to know that, yeah, I've I've already almost been praying for them since day one of seminary. Um, there's, There's longing that I've had for priesthood and all that includes the people, obviously. Um, I would want them to know that I'm going to work hard. I'm a hard worker. They say that I'm I'm su- I'm such a workhorse, like I'm gonna I'm gonna die working kind of thing. Um, so if there's ever moments that I you think I I may need to slow down and pray, then please do that. That's probably what I need. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story here <laughs> on the show. It's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We wish you all the best, and we look forward to seeing you there during your ordination and finding out where you're going to end up. Me too. <laughs> and, you know, we welcome you here to celebrate Mass anytime here at St. Faustina, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to share this. Even for me, it's very graceful to go back and recount all the ways that God has touched me in those moments of my life. So thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you.